If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to several passages of Scripture, but we're going to begin with 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, when our Lord was getting ready to return to heaven after his resurrection and the days that he had on the earth after his resurrection and he appeared to many of the disciples, he was getting ready to ascend and the disciples asked Jesus if he was going to restore the kingdom at this time. And he replied that it was not for them to know the times or the seasons, but that they were to wait until the Father had fulfilled the promise of sending the Holy Spirit as recorded by the prophecy of Joel and that they were to wait in the upper room until that fulfillment took place and they would be empowered to be witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. So Jesus ascended to the Father and the disciples were left with a commission to go into the world and preach the gospel, that they were to expect uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, but at the same time that they were going to be enduring a great deal of persecution. And uh, I believe that that persecution has continued throughout the centuries and is even in existence today. And although we live in America where there is supposed to be freedom of religion, there is a certain amount of persecution that is going on in America at this present moment. And I believe that we are in the last days that Jesus Christ could return today. He could return before this service is over. We don't know when, but we do know that he has promised and Jesus never made a promise that he never fulfilled. He always fulfills his promises. He promised that he would return someday. It could be today, maybe tomorrow. I don't know when, but I do know that he's coming back. And until that time comes, I must be a faithful witness in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone and with everyone that will hear, preparing them for the return of Christ so that they will not shrink back in embarrassment, as Peter talks about it in one of his epistles, but that we would welcome him with open arms. But at the same time, as the return of Christ gets closer, Jesus compared it to a woman having a deliverance of a baby. Uh, you know, ladies, that when you are about to give birth to a child, uh, as that time comes, the uh, delivery pains uh, get more severe and increase in severity until the baby is born. And Jesus used the example of a woman giving birth to a child to talk about the persecution that would exist in the world prior to his coming, that the persecution would be there. But the closer that our Lord comes, that when his time is to come, those uh, pains would increase, the persecution would increase. And I believe that we are in the last days and someday soon the Lord will return. And so we can anticipate that persecution not only exists today, but could even spread throughout the United States of America. And we'll be looking at some of the ways I think that that's going to take place. So we're going to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. But realize this, Paul said to Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. The word difficult here can also be translated terrible. Terrible times. There's only one other place in the New Testament where this word that's translated difficult or terrible is used. And it is in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28. In Matthew 8, 28, you have the account of two men who were possessed by demons. And they are described as being wild, 
uncontrollable, uh, fierce, violent, dangerous, and frightening. And it is that same word that is used here. So in describing the last days, Paul is saying to Timothy and to us, the last days will be characterized by uncontrollable passions, by fierce, violent tempers, dangerous times, frightening times. It is a terrible time in the last days before our Lord returns. Look at verse two. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, go malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Now notice in verse two and also in verse four, he used the term lovers three times. In verse two, he talks about lovers of self. That means self-conceited, uh, narcissistic individuals the lovers of money. And then finally in verse four, he talks about lovers of pleasure. These, he says, are going to be the characteristics of the time uh, when prior to our Lord's return. So, you know, you can rub shoulders with the world. You can compromise your lifestyle to go along with the rest of the world. You can go along with the world and not receive any persecution whatsoever. Persecution comes to those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus. So let's go on in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verse 6. Well, excuse me, for time's sake, skip down to verse 12. That is basically the verse that we're going to focus our attention on. In verse 12 of 2 Timothy 3, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus may be persecuted, no, will be persecuted. He is saying that if you take your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ to be genuine, that you really meant it when you trusted Christ as your savior, if you live a godly life in this society, you will be persecuted. The word persecuted comes from a Latin word which means to pursue. So they will pursue you. The godless people of this world who hate Jesus and hate Christianity and hate the church and hate Christians will pursue you to harass you, to bother you, to frustrate life for you, to make life miserable for you in any and every way that they possibly can. It's going to happen. It's already started happening. It has been for quite some time. Now, let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, uh, which is the beginning of uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, that we looked at some time before. But in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, in the first 10 or 12 verses, Jesus gives what is called the Beatitudes. Blessed are these and so forth. But then he comes to verse 10. This is the last of the Beatitudes. 
Notice what he says in Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So three times, verse 10, verse 11, and in verse 12, Jesus talks about the persecution that can be expected by those who will live by these beatitudes. You live by these beatitudes. And if you live by them, then you can anticipate, you can expect persecution. People will pursue you to hate you, to make life miserable for you, and will persecute you in any way they possibly can. Now, let's look at the three ideas. I hope that you got your bulletin as, we came in, as you came in this morning. There are three basic ideas that I want to pursue in the time that we have left. I want to talk for a few moments about the reasons for persecution. Secondly, look at some examples of persecution in our own day and time. And then third, the response that we should have to persecution. So why? What are the reasons for persecution? Why would people want to persecute you? as a Christian. Two reasons, basically. One, for the life that you live, and secondly, for the Lord that you love. Look at it, if you would please, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for what? For the sake of righteousness, for living a righteous life, for being a godly person, for doing what is right, rather than what is wrong. And that is difficult in our day because somebody has changed the price tags on moral values. What used to be wrong is now right. What used to be black is now white. And so uh, you, you see this in everyday activity. You, you see it in the recent rendering of the same-sex marriage definition by the Supreme Court of these United States, which in my opinion is opening up the door of increased persecution that's taking place and will continue to increase in persecution of those who call ourselves Christians. William Barclay, the great English commentator said this, there is danger in goodness for in the light of goodness, evil is condemned. So when you live a righteous life among unrighteous people, those unrighteous people are not going to take it lying down. Because you are righteous and because uh, uh, you, you are a friend of God, this world is full of people who are not. Now, we are not to seek persecution. We're not to go to work tomorrow or to school tomorrow or live in your neighborhood and deliberately do things that would cause the people to react to you in that way. The scripture is just simply saying, live a righteous life and you'll rub shoulders with people the wrong way and they'll dislike you and they will persecute you. They will pursue you. They will insult you. They will revile you. They will say all kinds of hateful and bitter things about you. They'll make a joke out of you. Why? Because Christians are divisive. We are different. We're not like the rest of the world. We, we, you heard the proverbial saying, saying we, be, we march to the beat of a different drummer. We go upstream, not downstream with the rest of the crowd. 
And so we're going against the way society is going and consequently there's going to be a lot of irritation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 that we Christians are to be the salt of the earth. Now, the salt, we know, also preserves, but it also irritates. Did you ever cut your finger or, or cut some part of your body and, and get salt on it? Maybe a solution of salt water? You know how it stings? Burns, doesn't it, when you get salt in a, in a cut? Well, we're the salt of the earth, and, and we are an irritant to the rest of the world. And when we stand up for what's right rather than what's wrong... When we stand up for pro-life instead of for abortion, uh, then the world's going to hate you. They'll say all kinds of evil things against you because of that, because you're salt and you are an, uh, an irritant. Not only are we the salt of the world, Jesus also said in verse uh, 15 that we are the light of the world. Well, what does the light do? The light exposes what is in the darkness. You go into a room where it's dark and what do you, you flip on the light switch and whatever is in the room is exposed by the light. If you happen to be in a room where there are roaches or other kinds of insects, what do those roaches and insects do? They scatter. They, they try to get away from the light because it exposes them. And when we are in the world and shining as Christians ought to shine to let our lights so shine before men, uh, then the world's going to hate you for that. You're going to expose the evil that they stand for and that they live for. If one has not been persecuted for his Christian faith, somebody has said, then he or she is not walking with Christ long enough or close enough. So you live a righteous life. You try to do what's right. You live a good life. There will be those in this world who will not like that. Not only because of the life that we live, but because of the Lord that we love. Notice in verse chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me. Because of Jesus. Because of the love that you have for Jesus because of the commitment that you have made to Jesus to follow him no matter what. The life that you live and the love that you have for Jesus Christ will cause persecution to fall and rain upon you. So look, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. John's gospel chapter 15. John chapter 15 Beginning with verse 18, John 15, 18. This is what John 15, 18 says. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, that is, if you lived according to the lifestyle of the world, now by the world that he means here, he's not talking about material things. He's talking about a lifestyle. The word world is used in the Bible in two or three ways, and one of the ways that it is used is in reference to the, the non-Christian, the, the, the people who live their lives according to the way of the world and not according to the way of God. It's anti-God. It's anti-Christ. Over in the epistles of John, John talks about, he says, the spirit of antichrist is already in the world. 
Now, we know that there will be someday an individual who will be the ultimate Antichrist. But in 1 John, he's talking about the spirit of Antichrist. Anywhere you hear or find someone who talks against God, who talks against Jesus, there is the spirit of Antichrist. They are against Christ. So look at verse 19 of John 15. If you were of the world... The world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world because of this, because of this, the world will hate you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So again, you live a righteous life. You do it because you love the Lord. If you love Jesus, then the world is going to hate you. The world will hate you. In the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, this is what the New Living Translation said. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. He was talking to the Christians at Philippi. You've seen how I have suffered I'm still suffering. You're going to have to experience the same thing. The world will hate you because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the two basic reasons why you can expect to be persecuted. The life of righteousness that you choose to live and the Lord that you love. Now let's look at some examples of persecution and I've grouped them into three basic they're, uh, kinds of exa uh, examples of persecution. The first one I'm listing is personal insults. Personal insults. Going back to Matthew 5, 11, Jesus said to rejoice and blessed will be, you'll be when, when people insult you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Now notice the word falsely. You're not to deliberately live a life uh, that would cause you to be persecuted. That's a totally different thing. You, if, you, if you purposely, deliberately do something wrong and suffer for it, you cannot claim this beatitude. It's only if in living for Christ, standing up for Jesus, that you receive persecution and people say things about you that are not true, you may not be able to stop it. You may not be able to stand up and say, that's false, that's not true. You may not be able to have that occasion to do it. They will say, they will tell lies about you. They will falsely testify against you. Jesus said, when that happens, rejoice, rejoice. The word insult of Matthew 5, 11 means to be reviled. It literally means to cast back into their teeth. 
This same word is used with the, the, uh, the thieves on the cross who were crucified with Jesus, as well as the people who were watching him being crucified, because it says that those, uh, those thieves, the robbers who were crucified with him, were also insulting him. Even, even the repentant thief at the beginning insulted Jesus. They cursed Jesus and said, if you're really the son of God, then get down from the cross and take us along with you. And they were hurling all kinds of insulting comments at Jesus. And then this one that was able to realize who Jesus was and confessed it, said, remember me when you go into your gate. In fact, he rebuked his, his fellow criminal. He said, why are you talking to him like this? Uh, we, we suffer justly. We, we suffer because we've done wrong. We've committed crimes. Looking at Jesus, he said, he's done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve this. And then he said to Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. But all the people around the cross, those self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes were, were grateful for the crucifixion of Jesus. They thought that they were through with him and they insulted him. If they insult Jesus, they're going to insult you. To insult someone means to abuse someone with vicious and mocking words, ugly rumors, gossip, and outright lies. You will be the butt of many a joke, many a joke. Paul, Peter said, if you suffer, it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name, by his name. There was an individual, I don't know other than his name, Elwin Davis said this, as the father sent Jesus the lamb, even so you are going to the world as a lamb in the midst of wolves. Will they howl? They'll howl, all right. Will we feel their fangs? You bet we will. Will it hurt? Of course it will. Even unto death, even unto death, how else would you prefer to die? How else would you like to live? Oh, to be like Jesus, even if it means being a sheep among wolves. That's what Jesus said would happen to you. You will be thrown into the midst, like a sheep into the midst of wolves. And what will happen? They will ravage you. They will tear you apart. So there will be personal insults. They will say all kinds of insulting uh, uh, false lies about you, ridiculing you. So there's personal insult. Physical abuse is the next thing. Notice that Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, rejoice when they persecute you. The word persecute you here, of course, means to do physical harm. You say, well, we're not uh, facing physical harm. Not yet, but it could come, probably will come. Did you know that there are over 200 million Christians around the world who are suffering persecution in some form, many of them being beaten, whipped. Um, you saw ISIS, the ter terrorist, who killed the 21 Coptic Christians. You know what a Coptic Christian is? That's just a, an Egyptian who, who is a Christian. Did you see the image of all 21 of those men down on their knees with a Radical Islamic terrorist standing behind each one of them with a knife in his hand, getting ready to cut off their heads. You say, well, that happened over there. Well, who's to say it couldn't happen here? 
It can, probably will. Someday, if we live long enough and the Lord delays his coming, it could happen here. I, I, I'm not a prophet by any means, and God forgive me if I'm wrong in saying this, but uh, I, I think the day will come when the Muslims will take over America. I'll tell you how they'll do it. By outpopulating us and outvoting us. And someday we could very well have a, a, a Muslim leader. Now, I'm not against, there, there, there are good Muslims in the world. I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about the radical Islamic terrorist who could do that. Who could do that? It could happen. Hebrews 11, 33 through 39, gives a description of the people who suffered for Jesus in those New Testament days. Don't have the time to look at it in detail. But if you read Hebrews 11, 33 through 39, he says they were thrown to lions. Remember Nero and, and Rome? Uh, uh, Nero's the one who we believe actually set fire to the whole city of Rome, but he blamed the Christians. And he took Christians, had them uh, uh, dipped in tar, put tar, had tar put all over them, bound them to a cross in his garden, set fire to them and walked around his garden enjoying the beautiful flowers where Christians were screaming the top of their lungs because they were being burned to death. We've all heard about the, the, the Christians that were thrown into uh, the arena uh, in Rome and, and were used to, to entertain the, the, the citizens as they were eaten alive and bodies were ripped apart because of the lions uh, that were attacking them. You say, oh, that happened years and years ago. Well, we may never have to get our heads cut off or fed to the lions, but there could be some physical persecution in some ways. But in Hebrews 11, 33 through 39, it talks about lions, violence of fire, sword, torture, mocking, scourging, chains and imprisonment, stone, sawn in two, tempted, put to death with a sword, went about in sheep's clothing, in goat skin, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground to hide to keep from being put to death. You know about the persecution of Paul. We don't have time to look at all of it, but 2 Corinthians 11 23 through 27, listen to what the New Living Translation says. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, this is what Paul said. I know I sound like a madman, but I have served more than anyone else. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death time and time again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger upon rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the, clothes, in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. That was just a brief summary of some of the suffering and persecution that Paul received because why? He preached Christ. That's the only reason. He wasn't a madman. He wasn't a robber. He wasn't a murderer. He was a Christian preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know about Nero and Rome 
And we know about um, today the index of persecution of Christians in the world. Millions of people are suffering today. Here, here are some of the top nations of the world today, 2015, that imprison and, and kill Christians. North Korea is at the top of the list of having uh, persecuted uh, the most Christians. North Korea, Somalia, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, the Sudan, Iran, Pakistan, Nigeria, and the list goes on and on and on. So there will be physical abuse, persecution. And then there's financial ruin. And here, I believe, is what's going on today. People who suffer financial ruin. Why? Because of um, uh, the, the radical, uh, for the lack of a better word, just the radical homosexual lifestyle that's being forced on us. That's being forced on us. Uh, if I stand in this pulpit and preach against homosexuality, which I've done and will continue to do so, I, I could be arrested. Um, I could be charged with, uh, with flammatory speeches because if I say something negative about the homosexual lifestyle and some nut out there goes out there and, and, and kills a homosexual or same-sex couple or does something and they say, well, my pastor said this and that, and I could be arrested for inciting a riot against the homosexual lifestyle. Did you know that if we take a stand for same-sex, uh, against same-sex marriage, and we have a homosexual couple who comes to this church and request to use our facilities to have a same-sex marriage ceremony, and we refuse to allow them to do that, they could file a lawsuit against us? Our church... First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches could use our, lose our tax exemption. Can you imagine what it's going to cost us if we lose our tax exemption? The property that we own will begin being taxed. You say, that's not ever going to happen. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. You, you can be gullible if you want to. But I'm telling you, it can and probably will. If not to our church, it's going to happen somewhere in our society. It will. Now, many of you... Uh, know about Randy Alcorn. Randy Alcorn wrote the, the real popular book called Heaven. It's one of the best books on heaven that, uh, that I've ever read. Uh, Randy Alcorn and another pastor got together and they started a church. And uh, I, have, I have to cut this down. You can just Google this for yourself. Just Randy Alcorn lawsuit um, and it'll pull it up. Uh, but uh, he got involved in a, a calm, nonviolent demonstration against an abortion clinic where they just stood out uh, in front of the clinic uh, with signs and tried to block the entrance of women going in to have an abortion. The clinic filed suit against him. And um, uh, he... Um, had to resign his church. They, they, they lost the file suit. The, the lawyer came to him and, and said, you're going to lose this lawsuit. They're, they're filing a lawsuit against you and everybody else who demonstrated against it. And uh, uh, they're going to take you for all that you're worth. All, all the royalties that you, you've gotten off of your selling of your books, the Heaven book and all the other books that he's written. His salary, they were going to garnish his salary from the church that he pastored. He said, I'm not going to allow any of my money 
be given to the support of an abortion clinic. He resigned his church, took a job at minimum wage so that they could not garnish his salary and the royalties of uh, his, uh, his books were, were given to something else so that by the time the trial was over, uh, then he had reduced all of his income to the most, uh, the maximum minimum, I should say, uh, that he could get uh, his house, property, and other things he had transferred over to his wife's name so that when the lawsuit did take place, things would be in her name rather than in his and uh, consequently would not uh, uh, cost him too much. The... Uh, the, the court ruled against him and against the others who participated in the demonstration and uh, the total peaceful nonviolent action, the jury awarded the abortion clinic $8.2 million just because he chose to speak against abortion. A side note here, I've tried to figure out how to insert this and might as well do it here. Uh, you might have seen the, the, uh, the picture, the image of Cecil the lion that was put on the Empire State Building because of people who uh, were in an uproar because Cecil the lion had been killed. Why don't they ever put a baby up there to show the 50 million babies that have been murdered by abortion. Now you're talking about persecution. You stand up against abortion. It'll happen. It'll happen. Galls me every time I look at it. Won't charge you anything for that one. <laughs> Listen to this and run through it quickly. My time's getting out of hand. I'm... In Dallas, a gay couple filed a complaint against the Dallas Morning News because they refused to put an announcement about their gay wedding in the newspaper. In New, in New Mexico, a photographer was fined $7,000 for refusing to take pictures at a lesbian ceremony. In Illinois, a gay couple filed a complaint against two bed and breakfast inns who refused to provide a venue for the civil union ceremony. In Iowa, a cake maker may be facing legal action for refusing to provide a wedding cake for two lesbians. In, in Kentucky, a t-shirt company is under investigation by the city of Lexington Human Rights Commission after refusing to print t-shirts for a local gay rights organization. In New York, a lesbian couple filed a discrimination complaint with the New York Division of Human Rights after a rural farmer declined to host their wedding on the premises. The list can just go on and on and on and on of people who are being sued and files made against them. Chick-fil-A, you remember Chick-fil-A? When they... Uh, the president, Dan Cathy, he, he, didn't, he wasn't anti-gay in his statement. He just said, I'm pro-family. I'm pro-family. Pro and because he said, I'm pro-family and our company is pro-family, the, 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 the uh, lesbian and, and homosexual uh, people uh, uh, picketed against him. Picketed against it. The Boy Scouts of America. You know, we, we have for, for years, we had Troop 103 here in our church. And then when the Boy Scout organization decided they would allow uh, homosexuals in, into the Boy Scout thing, we said, well, well, we'll just not support it any longer. And now, did you read recently where it says that the Boy Scouts of America are going to allow homosexual men to be the scout leaders? 
You remember the old parable or the proverbial parable about if you let the camel stick his nose in the tent, it won't be long before he gets his whole self in it. And that's what's happening to the Boy Scouts of America. They allowed it here, and now it's going to be here. Where else is it going to be? As someone said, you drive down the highway, and you see the devil standing on the side of the highway hitchhiking. You stop and pick him up. He'll be on the passenger side, but it won't be long. He'll want to be behind the steering wheel, and he'll want to drive. And the same thing happens about the sexual perversion that's going on in our world today. The devil stuck his head in the tent, and now he's getting all the way in, all the way in. Churches, as I said, could lose their, their tax exemption and so forth. Well, we could go on and on and on, but let me quickly give you to the response. The response to persecution. There are about uh, six things quickly, and I'll be through. What should be our response? Well, for one thing, expect persecution. It's going to happen. It's happening now, and it will continue. And I think, as Paul says, uh, it's, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. So we are to expect it. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me first before it hated you. The master, the, the servant is not greater than the master. If the master is persecuted, then the servant's going to be persecuted too. So expect it. It's going to happen, folks, just a matter of when. When it does happen, don't be silent. Don't let the world and don't let the lifestyles of other people uh, force you to not say anything. Uh, be willing. Now, when you, when you speak, and in, and in uh, John 15, uh, 26 and 27, uh, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will in, in, uh, empower you to testify. He said, I'm testifying, you, you can testify too. The Holy Spirit will empower you. Jesus said, uh, when you're caught up and, 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 and taken before the courts, uh, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will empower you and enable you and give you the words to say. So don't remain silent. This is not to say that we just have to put a tape over our mouths and not say anything against some of the things that are going on in this world if... if no other way we should be more bold. But in doing so, let me caution you that when you do speak up, don't be mean and rude and cruel and hateful in the things that you have to say. I don't, I don't hate homosexuals. I don't hate abortionists. I detest what they do and how they live. But we are to love people. And Paul says... Uh, and, and that we, when we speak, we are to season our speech with grace, just as you would season your food with salt. Now, too much salt will ruin the taste of food, but the proper amount of salt on food brings out the taste of the food. It tastes great when you put the proper amount on it. And that's what Paul is saying. Just when you speak, do so graciously. Don't say it vindictively. Don't say it hatefully. Uh, and be mean and cruel and insult them, insult for insult. No. Somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. They compels you to go a mile, go with them too. So don't be rude. Season your speech with grace. Third, love your enemies. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44. I say to you, love your enemies. And then pray for your enemies. He said that also in verse 44 of Matthew 5. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's what Stephen did. 
You remember Stephen? Again, we don't have the time, but, but Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, read those two chapters. Acts 6 and Acts 7, where Stephen is stoned to death because he preached the gospel. As they were stoning him to death, Stephen prayed, Lord, do not hold this against them. Now, what an attitude to have. Here you are being stoned to death and yet you're praying, God, forgive them. Just like Jesus. Jesus did the same thing on the cross. The very first recorded words that our Lord spoke as he was dying for you and me is, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. The sin will blind you. It will. It blind them. And so we're to love our enemies and we're to pray for them. Number five, Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your suffering. In rejoice in the Lord. He said, rejoice and be glad. James tells us, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then again, you have Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter 5 as they were being persecuted and they were beaten I, wish, I just wish we had the time to look at all of this, but Acts chapter 5, read Acts chapter 5. Peter is being whipped, and those who are with him are being persecuted. Why? For no other reason than preaching Jesus Christ. And, and uh, when they were said, they, they beat him and then said, all right, we'll turn you loose, but we demand and command you are not to speak anything else about Jesus. You shall sure not to preach anymore about Jesus. And Peter's response was, we'd rather obey God than obey men. And then number six, stand firm in the Lord. Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Two examples of this quickly. Over in the book of Daniel, the old three Hebrew children, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How King Nebuchadnezzar had a huge... Uh, uh, idol of himself made and demanded that everybody in the kingdom bow down and worship that idol uh, when they heard the music. And when the music started playing, everybody bowed down, but, uh, but uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the word went to the king and he said, well, the threat was we'll throw you in the burning furnace. And so they heated up the, the furnace many times more than normal. In fact, it was said that when the men who bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego carried them to be thrown into the furnace, the closer they got, they got so close to the, to the furnace that the ropes they had tied them to began to burn off and they themselves were consumed, but they threw the three men in the furnace. And after a while, old King Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace and he looked at his men and he said, didn't we throw three men in here, but I see a fourth man and he's likened to the son of God. Now, when persecution comes, if it's physical, you may not be exempt from it, but I guarantee you, my friend, if you know Jesus, he's going to be with you. And then you've got Daniel. Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den. Why? Well, to be thrown in the lion's den means you were going to be eaten alive by the lions. This was no picnic, folks. And, and oh, the, the evil cohorts with the king got together and drew up a decree because they hated the Jewish people. And uh, it was decreed that if 
if, if anyone prayed to anybody else other than King Nebuchadnezzar, then they will be thrown into the den of lions. And the scripture says that Daniel went back to his house and continued doing what he'd always done, that three times a day he opened his windows toward Jerusalem and prayed. Now, he was not being defiant of the law. It says, as he had been doing. This is something that he had always been doing. This wasn't something he said, well, I'll just show them. I'm going to do this anyway. No, this is something that he had always been doing. He had always, those three times during the day, stopped and prayed to God. And he says, no man's going to keep me from doing that. And so he went back up to his room, opened his windows toward heaven and knelt down and prayed. Those guys saw him, turned him in. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, the law says he's got to be thrown to the lion's den. And so they threw him into the lion's den and ended up, oh, Daniel used the lion as a pillow, had a good night's rest. The next morning, the king said, Old Daniel, has your God saved you and protected you? He said, the God I live and for and serve, he has protected me. He just closed those mouths of those lions shut tight. I had never had a better night's rest in my life. Reads paraphrase. <laughs> well, you may have to go to the furnace. I may have to go to the furnace. May be thrown to the lion's den. I may be sued, lose everything I got. I'm not going to deny my Lord. Everything that we anticipate that could happen in the way of persecution, Jesus has already experienced it. He said, the world hates me, it's going to hate you. They took Jesus and whipped him, beat him to the point that he was not recognizable as a human being. The pictures you see of Jesus hanging on the cross do not do him justice. Every piece of his hair is in place. Private parts of his body are covered up. They stripped Jesus naked and beat him with a whip. Made him carry his cross to the, to the hill of Calvary and took spikes and nailed them through his hands and through his feet. Laughed at him, mocked him, ridiculed him, killed him. So when you go to Jesus and you complain about all that you're suffering and persecuting, you can honestly say, I know what you're experiencing and I know how you feel. The only difference is when Jesus experienced it, he was dying in your place. He died for you. Those whelps that whipping that he received, you deserved, you deserved, and I deserved. The nails that were driven through his hands and through his feet were nails that should have been driven through your hands and my hands, feet. The ridicule, the laughter, the scorn, the embarrassment of being exposed to the whole world. Jesus did it for you. Dying in your place, so that you might know what it is to be forgiven of sins. His sacrifice shed for you. His blood shed for you so that you might be cleansed of your unrighteousness. Does it pay to serve Jesus? Yes, it does. It pays every day. May we bow together.
Lord Jesus, uh, we praise you and thank you for dying for us. We cannot begin to imagine the complete horror and the suffering and the agony that you received because you died in our place. But we come to you with grateful hearts, thanking you and praising you for doing just that. I pray, Father, that as we come to this time of invitation, uh, that your will will be done. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will take not my words, not what I've said. I'm, I'm just a human being and I can't save anybody. It's all of you, Lord, and I'm just your spokesperson and I trust that I've not said anything that would be giving me credit. It would all be words that come from your holy word. And Holy Spirit, you inspired the scriptures and you illuminate them. You help us to understand them. And I pray now that as we come to this time of invitation, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to the hearts of those who have not yet confessed you as Lord and Savior. May they understand what it means to be a committed Christian. Is there to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and that may invite persecution, but it will be worth it all. And if there are those here today who need to be saved, may they come forward. Bless, Father, our church. Help us to be the kind of witness to our community that we need to be and that you want us to be, and we'll praise you for it through all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Andre is going to lead us. Would you stand and sing? And as we sing, you come forward if you have a decision. <laughs>